Let's, let's pray together. We need lots of prayer. Father God, we, we pray now that you would open our minds to the scriptures, God. What a gift they are. We thank you for them. Lord, you don't leave your people without guidance, without help. God, I pray that you would grasp our attention again and that we'd be focused on you. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Help us understand your scriptures and live them out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I uh, have my friend Doug, who is, if, if you don't have a Bible with you and you want a physical copy, raise passing those out and he will pass them out. While, we're, while he's passing those out, you can flip or swipe or click your way to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. As Carrie said, happy Pentecost Sunday. Glad that you're here with us. I have a, a friend on Facebook who happens to have been my Young Fives teacher. She was Mrs. McGraw, now Mrs. Doc Stater. And I, I don't think she does it anymore, but she used to post the random obscure holidays on Facebook. And so it'd be like, I'd like, shoelace day or uh, anything, a bunch of random stuff. So I, I have a few just for you that I want to share. Uh, January 31st is Bubble Wrap Appreciation Day. Make sure you write that down. Take note. February 16th. No, this is for maybe some people in this room. Do a grouch a favor day. February 16th. Don't point out, don't, don't point them out. Don't point them out. Wives, don't say, that's your day. But someone in this room, March 27th is National Joe Day. Joe, I'm so sorry we missed it, but next year. National Joe Day is March 27th. April 14th is National Reach As High As You Can Day. May 3rd. Lumpy rug day. And I don't know if, you're, if you straighten out the lumpy rugs or you're supposed to on purpose. I don't like it. So you don't have to do that one. That one's non-obligatory. There are, you don't have to. May 9th, National Lost Sock Memorial Day. You, we just celebrated our fallen soldiers. Apparently, you can also... Remember your lost socks that were destroyed by the washer or ended up in another dimension, however, however it works. These, are, these things are a mystery to me, but there's a holiday for them if you want it. May 30th, just missed it, really disappointed, was national, put a pillow in your fridge day. Put a pillow in your fridge. So then both sides of the pillow would always be cool. Is the, I think, I wonder. So those are the obscure holidays, obscure random holiday. Today is Pentecost, and my goal is that you would see that this is not random obscure holiday, but a vital moment, vital reality 
in redemption history. Pentecost Day. Or as we could say, many Christians throughout the ages have said, the birthday of the church. So universal church, happy birthday. Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Vital day of redemption history. Let's, let's talk a bit about redemption history. If you flip back to the beginning, the book of Genesis is what we'd call the book of beginnings. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Genesis is the beginnings of the cosmos, of plant and animal kingdom, of the earth and all therein, of humanity. Also, not created by God, but beginnings of sin and, and mankind's subsequent uh, breaking of relationship with the Lord and with each other. Bless you. Genesis is also the book of beginnings for God's covenant with Abraham and his descendants. God, uh, mankind fell in their rebellion against God by eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I one time had a friend say, does that mean, you know, being snarky, as people like to do, does that mean that God is against knowledge? Absolutely not. The issue with the garden was that it was the knowledge of good and evil. And, and I think we've talked about this before, but God was to be the definer of good and evil. God uh, looked at his creation and said it's very good. So the rebellion was, we want to say for ourselves what's good and evil. And, and even, if, even if it was the, the best tree, and, uh, the point was that God told them not to. Even if it was just a random fruit that meant nothing, because God said no, that meant no. But the, the serpent, that great old serpent, as Revelation would call him, Satan came and told them that they could be like him. The sad part was they were already made in his image. And being made in his image means we have the capacity to, uh, to create, to, to care, to love, to, to, to nurture and deform the capacity, not his limits. We have limited, but his capacities. But we wanted more. We wanted his position. And instead of getting his position with that bite, we actually, all those capacities for being like the Lord, every single one of them are now tarred and tainted. tainted. So even though we do love each other, even though we do create and we organize and we build, all of it is tarred. All of it is twisted by sin. You have great architectures, fabulous architectures like the Tower of Babel, but it's twisted. It's twisted that, that, that the human mind was created to come up with these awesome concepts, but the point of the Tower of Babel was they thought that would get them to climb up to the heavens and give God their demands. It was marred and twisted by sin. They had human relationships and they, there was marriage and there was children, but all of those relationships were twisted by sin. This is what happened with the fall. But God had a response. God chose a man named Abraham. A man named Abram, whom God changed his name to Abraham and Tells Abraham he will have this 
family, that this family will be so massive that it'll be outnumbering the stars in the heaven or the sands on the seashore, and that through this family, he would make all things right. That through Abraham and his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So Genesis ends with this man's family, now known as Israel. They are in Egypt. The book of Exodus begins with them not just residing in Egypt, but them in slavery. That Pharaoh had forgotten, if you know the story of Joseph, forgot about Joseph, and now they are enslaved. Again, what we could imagine, massive building projects and an organization marred and tarred by sin. But God still had the plan and desire to make all things new and good. At the garden, man's relationship with God in the book of Exodus separated and broken. But God, in the book of Exodus, desires to begin to mend the relationship. So God raises up a man named Moses. Moses would not only lead these covenant people out of slavery in Egypt, but also God would give, through Moses, his law. Where everything was tarred and broken, and, and everything was twisted, and though we had all these, this understanding, this moral compass, it was twisted, the law makes it clear. You might think, it's probably not good to, to do harm to my brother, but, what if, but the twist is, but what if it's better for me? God's law makes it clear, do not kill. Do not steal. So God in the book of Exodus, and so Genesis means beginning, Exodus just means leaving, that they left Egypt, but they're coming to the Lord. Exodus 19, God meets with Moses and all the people of Israel after they've been, you know, the, the ten plagues and the signs and the wonders that God rescuing his people. Uh, when we had Good Friday, we talked about Passover. They have the Passover supper where they killed a lamb and the blood of the lamb was assigned to the doorpost. And wherever the blood was, the angel of death would pass over. Well, now they are out of Egypt. The armies of Pharaoh is under the sea. And God gives them his law. Exodus 19, they are at Sinai, Mount Sinai. Moses meets with the Lord, and God tells him, this is how my people are to be. This is how my people are to live. All of the law, all of scripture... It was given so that his people would know how to relate to Yahweh and remember what he has done. So in this law, he gave them what we could call the big three festivals. He gave them Passover, Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths the Feast of Tabernacles. These were the big three. That These were the, the staples of how they would remember Yahweh and what he has done and what he is doing. Passover was to be a meal 
and a festival for them to remember that God passed over them because of the blood of the Lamb. Now, Pentecost. Pentecost is called Pentecost. Pentagon. What does penta mean? Five. This was 50 days after Passover. Which means it's been 50 days since we had Good Friday and Easter, roughly. Which is just wild. That time is flying so by so fast. So after Passover, they would mark seven, seven weeks of seven, 49 days. The 50th day would be Pentecost. Now Pentecost was to remember God's providence for them. So Passover was God passing over their sin. And then the Feast of Tabernacles will be God leading them in the wilderness where he's the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke. But the Feast of Pentecost is to remember he is provider. The, the Feast of Pentecost was the harvest festival. And this would be the, the wheat harvest specifically. So they have planted their wheat they, and they brought their grain actually to Yahweh. They presented it to him at Passover and that wheat has been planted and now the harvest is ready. And they, they take the, the first crop out of the harvest and bake two loaves and bring it before the Lord. If you lived within 20 miles, you were required to come to Jerusalem Come celebrate, you'd bring your two loaves. Men were required, but you'd bring your family. And remember that it's Yahweh, the Lord who provides. And the Lord gets the best of our harvest. And remembering once again that the Lord prepares and brings the harvest. After the Old Testament was closed, there, a tradition arose not long before the time of Christ, that they began to not only celebrate the harvest, but they also be, they became celebrating the giving of the Torah. Fifty days after the original Passover, Moses met with God on Sinai. So they see they became, became to understand that as the first Pentecost. It wasn't noted specifically in Scripture, but they thought that was Pentecost. But instead of harvest, the, the, the bread, the harvest was God's word that he now gave them his word. And they would memorize it and learn it and celebrate it. So on their minds, I'm doing all of this work for a reason. Because on the minds of the disciples, when they came to Pentecost, and on the minds of all Israel coming to Pentecost, was harvest, and God giving his law. That is what was fresh. And when we did have Memorial Day, all day we were thinking of those who have served. When we have Thanksgiving, we pray that you're not just thinking of food, but you're thinking of all the ways that God has provided for you. Obviously, Good Friday and Easter, we're thinking about the sacrifice and rising of Christ. Christmas's birthday, Pentecost. They're thinking God's provision of harvest and God's provision by his spirit of the Torah, of his law. Now, let's read in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. That's most of my sermons, so there you go. That's a, that's a no-no in seminaries, making 
a lot of it in the introduction. But th- I want you to have those things in your mind when we read. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Who was all together? Likely the 120 that prayed together in the upper room in Acts chapter 1. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. It filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and as was confused because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed. Look, aren't these all who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each one of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Dive, break it down together. Can you see it as we read? You have these 120 disciples with the apostles praying. Just praying and waiting. What Wayne talked last week about Ascension Day, another non-obscure, non-random holiday where we remember the Lord's ascension into heaven. And he told them, Wait which you would think Jesus is ascending, game on, let's go. Jesus tells them, wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait. So they're praying, and they're acknowledging the Lord told us to wait, and Lord, we're not going in. They pick out your say. Chapter 1, they, they pick a, an apostle to replace Judas. They want this to be done right, and they're Finally, for the first time, doing what Jesus says. We know if we've been through the Gospels together, they made a lot of mistakes. But here, they did the right thing. And that right thing was waiting. Which is really difficult for us to grasp. But they waited. And they prayed together. And so on the day of Pentecost, which reminds you, they didn't get an RSVP. They didn't get a letter from the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I'm going to arrive on Pentecost Day. Bring your loaves. We'll have a party. Let's hang out. They had no idea how long. And so they waited and they prayed. And the Holy Spirit fell on them. Jesus was telling them when he was still on earth that it was going to be better Because his spirit would come. He was going to send this helper, this comforter, this one that would remind them of his words, this one that would give them the things to say. 
and now he's here. This is how the Holy Spirit shows up. Really weird stuff happened. Imagine you're in a, in a probably dark room because they don't have fluorescence like these, and you're praying, and suddenly people start getting literally lit, like fire on top of their heads. And there's this sound like a mighty rushing wind that fills the room. Don't miss this. Don't just think the Holy Spirit just likes to do weird stuff. We talked about Sinai. When Moses met with God on Sinai, there was fire and there was wind. When God led the people through the wilderness, what was there? Fire marked his presence. When God first met with Moses, what was there? Fire that burned a bush but was not consumed. God marked his presence in the Old Testament with fire and wind. Pastor Wayne, Pastor Wayne took us through the life of Elijah. When Elijah meets with God on the mountain, what is there? Fire and wind. Now the fire wasn't God. The wind wasn't God. But they were markers of his presence. So, with the sending of the Holy Spirit, God is saying, this is where I dwell now in the church. So we're going to look at three things that the church are based on Pentecost. God's dwelling place. The church is God's dwelling place. God lives here now. Not far from the upper room were the precincts of the temple. If you were granted admittance into, inside the temple in the holy place, a dark room with menorahs. It'd be lit by tongues of flame on the menorahs. This was now the temple. No longer lit by menorahs, but by the presence of God. They look around you. This is now the holy place. And God's presence was here now, we don't obviously have this experience that not every time someone gets saved, some fire comes out of their head. But don't, side note, this one's for free. Do you know that people still would not believe, even if we had fire shooting out of our head when we got saved? Satan has blinded the eyes of this world. But we can read it and say unmistakably, yes. The Holy Spirit came in a loud and obvious way. And maybe the Lord did know that the disciples definitely might have missed it. Are you sure that was? I don't know. There was a tingle. There was maybe spidey senses. I don't know. It was obvious the Holy Spirit came. And this wasn't just a mark that the Holy Spirit showed up, but this marked that one of his functions is to make the church, the people of God, God's dwelling place and God's temple, that this is where God would be. The Apostle Paul would say that God does not dwell in a building made by human hands, but it's his people. It's no, no longer about the temple of the building, but his people. It wasn't about the upper room, but it was the people. There 
waiting and obeying Christ. And now, everyone who believes in here, together, we are his temple. You want to be close to God? Couldn't get any closer. And individually, as we go out, we're his temple. When we gather together in a special way, we're his temple. The place where God's presence dwells. We're this new temple. We don't have to go up on a mountain and meet him like Moses or Elijah, but God is always with us. God's presence had come. God's spirit had come. They were, no doubt, thinking of the giving of the Torah. But with this coming of the presence, it's not just here so that we can just never be alone, but that's, I mean, think about the ramifications. You are never alone, ever. You could think like the Apostle Paul where he says, all of Asia has abandoned me, but Christ will never abandon me. Everyone could turn their backs on you. You could be left alone. You'll never be alone. The presence of creator God, the most high God, the king of glory, the king of power, Lord God Almighty, is with you. And he delights that you would be his house. And with that, he brings gifts, fruit, and new realities. God gave the Torah through the Spirit, by the Spirit, through Moses on Sinai. But Scripture gives us this, this waiting point that it was amazing that they had Torah, but the prophets began to talk about this day when Torah would be written on their hearts. That it would not be only things that they would read and be instructed on, but this would be in their hearts. That there would be this new covenant that God would, by his spirit, write laws on people's hearts and remember their sins no more. Before Jesus died, he had a meal with them where he gave them bread, saying it was his body, and wine, not just grape juice, but wine, which great, that's neither here nor there, but (laughs) bread and wine. And he told them that this cup was the cup of the new covenant in his blood. What he had declared at the table was now made actual with the sending of the Holy Spirit. New covenant realities. That with this spirit, God would remember their sins no more and write his law on their hearts. Now for us, we see a progress of it. Not yet a perfection. But if you are in Christ, if you have believed on Christ, Which, by the way, there's no special incantation or prayer. If you believe in Christ, you have received the Holy Spirit. There's no pilgrimage or anything extra special you have to do. But if you believe in Christ, 
He dwells within you. Period. And he is now writing the law of God in your heart. So whereas the Holy Spirit divinely breathed out scripture through human authors, now he has come to produce scripture in human lives. And when we read this, even Torah, we are reading, this is what God is doing in my heart. This, all of the commands, this is what God is doing in me. God is creating a heart that doesn't want to murder or lie or steal or covet. Now, it's a, it's a progress. I always like to say we are all works in progress. But if you have the Holy Spirit, it is happening. God is working on your heart. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead and our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By his grace, you have been saved. And he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Right now, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places because of the Holy Spirit. Right now, you have been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life because of the Holy Spirit. For through him, Paul continues in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 2. For through him, through Jesus Christ, the crucified lamb and risen Lord, through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So you heard, again, we are the dwelling place, the temple of the Lord, but also by the Spirit. And I love it. Did you hear it? You all have access to the Father. There's no one in here, not apostle or prophet or pastor, that has special access. But you all, all you believing ones, have access to the Father. By the Spirit. You, you, have comp you, you are in the throne room with the Father. Life is hard and life is difficult. And there are times where I think, man, I, I, I work at Farmer's Insurance. No, this, this is too dark. <laughs> We're by the airport. And they have, they have gone given us protocols that... This was my first day. I was told four times, if a plane hits the building, and that was my, Lord, are you sure you want me working here? That I have to be told over and over. Now, and, and it's always really casual. Now, Stephen, if a plane hits the building, what you need to do, it's like, what? what? If a plane hits the building, but sometimes I think, 
I would get to go be with Jesus. So it's not so bad. Lord, it's a hard day. If it hits, it hits. Let's go. Okay, not too dark. I was so scared. But I need to remember that I have him now. That on all of the days that the plane doesn't hit farmer's insurance, which I've, all the other days that farmers, so that's selfish of me. All the other days that it doesn't, I have total access to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus could say, it's better for you that I go because Jesus is walking beside them. And we've ha- I've heard a lot of people say, oh, if only I lived in Bible times and I walked with Jesus. Pers- you do! You do! Jesus said that you get something even better than they did because now he's not just next to us, he's within us. Sorry, baby child. You, I'm very sorry. You have... Jesus, by his spirit within you. You have his presence, access to him. Not only do we have access, have we been risen, have we been seated, but we're also living out fruit, fruit of the spirit. The apostle Paul talks about fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter 9, that because we're the dwelling place, because the law is being written on our, on our hearts, what comes out is fruit. Galatians 5 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. Because that's right where God wants you. Notice, and it continues, all those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. How do you do this? How does this fruit come? You say no to your flesh, and then you just yield. You yield to the Lord. Crucify your flesh. Say no to your passions. Now, mind you, this means Those passions have not gone away. Living the Christian life does not mean that the lust of the flesh and our our worldly passions are gone. But it means they must be crucified and they must be killed over and over again. But good Christian, have cheer. You're not in this alone. But God has spent the power of his spirit it's critical that we see that this is called the fruit of the Spirit. Not the works of the Spirit. This isn't something that we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and try really hard to do. But it's the fruit of the Spirit. You get no credit. No, it is, it's, it's, it's an enigma. <laughs> Because Paul will say that I strenuously strive by all the power that he works in me. So that you may feel like I'm strenuously striving, I'm giving it all I got. But it's his power. Take time throughout your day. 
ask the Lord again, Lord, I'm so prone to doing it in my own strength. Help me rely on you. So we have this fruit because of God's presence by the Holy Spirit. We also have his gifting. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activity. Each is given manifest in God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We can have a, a fun debate over the gifts of the Spirit. I will not do that today. But notice what the purpose is. The common good. So if your thoughts on spiritual gifts are not centered in the common good, the building up the body, I ask you to reconsider. Just, just consider and think. Because the reason God gave us, gave, God gave us I don't have the gifts of good grammar. But the reason that God gave us these gifts for the building up of the body, for the common good, and for mission. For the believers to be empowered and, and, and to be built up and to be encouraged and so that the world may know. So that the world could hear this gifting differs according to the grace given to us, says Romans. Let us use them if proph prophesying the one who exalts faith, if service in our serving, if the one who teaches and is teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I hope you learned the whole, heard the whole list and not just prophecy. People go through lifts of spiritual gifts and they're always about the prophecy and about the tongues. Did you hear that it's a miraculous working of the Holy Spirit to be generous or to be a teacher? Which includes our teachers back there and back there. Did you hear that that a miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit looks like serving. So when you're over there and you're pouring coffee, that matters. That is an outworking of the Holy Spirit in this body. When, 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 when you're stacking the chairs, that is you by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit serving the body. Not everything that we do in here together, we don't think that the Holy Spirit is seen by when Wayne preach, when Wayne preaches, or when the worship team sings, but by the preaching, the singing, those who pass the offering, those who serve coffee, those who come and just listen to how you are doing, those who give you a word of wisdom, though they'll never be up here preaching, they're giving advice and wisdom. All of that, all of that is a miraculous working of the Holy Spirit. Not just the upfront stuff, but it's all miraculous. This is all for the building up of the body 
Paul tells us in Ephesians, and for our mission. That's our second reality of the Holy Spirit in the church is God's mission. So we're God's dwelling or God's mission. Let's hustle. We'll hustle a little bit together. God's mission. Remember, what was Pentecost about? And I don't think this is insignificant. Harvest. The Pentecost was the celebration that the wheat is ready. Jesus told his disciples, the harvest is ready. The field is white. It's ready for picking. All we need is workers. So pray to the Lord of the harvest for workers. And now it's Pentecost, and the Lord is telling his church, it's go time. I told you the harvest was ready. It's time. And what we see in the book of Acts, that all of this book of Acts, those are just the first heads of grain that have been harvested. But there's still a whole harvest. Christ's words still stand true, as they always do. The harvest is still ready. So God's mission wasn't just for 12 ordinary men, but God's mission is for the whole, all of the 120 in this room and every single believer. The harvest is still ready. And as we sang that song last week, I asked for it for this week, but Wayne stole it from me. The harvest is ready. We have to go. We won't stop till the whole world knows the power in your blood to save every soul. We're not ashamed of the gospel. It's better for you that I say it and not sing it, but missionary anthem. That's what we sang last week. The harvest is ready, and it is go time. Many people call the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles. I think, and that's why it's called Acts, if you didn't know. A better title would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And all of the book of Acts are those first heads of grain being harvested, and we still have it all ahead of us. Last week, Wayne talked about uh, Jesus's ascension. We read out of book Acts. We're going to, uh, Acts chapter 1, we'll read it again briefly. It says, after his suffering, this is chapter 1, verse 3, he presented himself to them with many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a span of 40 days. So it's been 50 days since Passover. For 40 of them, Jesus has appeared to them and taught them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And while they were gathered together, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father promised, which you have heard me discuss and which we have discussed. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When they came together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? But Jesus replied, which notice, Jesus does, when people have end times questions, Jesus' reply doesn't say, well, in exactly 2,000 years, 47 days, he just says, what? It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why? 
What, why did the Holy Spirit come? Not just for access, not just for dwelling place. You will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We have this Holy Spirit not just for us. But that through us, he would work out the mission of witnessing about Jesus to the ends of the earth that everybody needs to know. So what are they witnessing? And what are we witnessing? We're witnessing that Jesus lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death. He rose again victoriously. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming again. That's the gospel. So if anyone ever asks you, what's the gospel? That is the pure gospel. It, when people say, what's the gospel? Don't just say, well, my Bible, which the Bible contains the gospel. But the Pure message of the gospel, which Paul says in 1 Corinthians is that Christ died for our sins and that he rose again on the third day, was seen by many, and ascended to the Father. And that's our mission. Now, this morning, there were some of us, we were talking about apologetics, and I love it, and it's fun. We're talking about, uh, you know, we're talking about evolution and that if, if everything came from these molecules bouncing around, ultimately, where did those molecules come from? We were talking about various different things. I could rehash them. But ultimately, that's not gospel yet. Now, th this is a lot of work that we're doing that we are trying to pave the road for people into the gospel but ultimately, the gospel is that Jesus died for their sins. They can be completely reconciled to God because Jesus died for their sins. That's what they need to know. So now the apologetics is awesome and it's great. Sharing our testimony is awesome and great. But ultimately, the thing that everybody needs to know is that Jesus died for their sins. Now, there are lots of baby steps we can get to get there. Even just mentioning, hey, what do you have plans for? I'm going to church. There's baby steps. It's not yet the gospel. That's not yet witnessing, but there are baby steps. I love Easter, one, because we celebrate the, the resurrection of Christ, and two, because you get to poach on people and say, what are your plans this weekend? And then just wait. Oh, me? When they ask you, because a lot of us do that anyway, you kind of ask them because you have to, then you can talk about yourself. Use it in a godly way, <laughs> I think. But when they ask you, oh, it's, it's Easter. I celebrate Jesus rose from the dead. There are baby steps, but ultimately, we can't get stuck on just telling people we go to church. But, we need to have the conviction. They need to know who Jesus is and what he did. And that's it's all of our job together. Now, some of us, the Holy Spirit operates in his church that some of us will be specifically called out. Some of us will be called to our neighborhood 
a lot of us, well, we support the ones that go. That it won't be our main task of going out to other countries or, or the main task of, of going door to door here that we're all sending. But if it's not your gifting to be a missionary, it still is your gifting by the Holy Spirit to tell people about Jesus. You may not be called to Guatemala. You may not be called or feel called to be a, a, a local missionary, but it's still your job to witness with your, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends. The Holy Spirit was given to you that you might be empowered that everybody you meet will know what Jesus has done. And my encouragement for us all, and that's my jam, is coworkers and family members. I have a coworker that is Hindu, and we worked at a therapy company together. We had a patient that passed away. And I felt, led by the Holy Spirit, to ask her, what do you do with that? With that death? And she told me, that she believed in nirvana. That if we are all good enough, we will ascend the rungs of reincarnation and we will eventually get to heaven. But listen to what she said. Now, mind you, all this time I've been praying that God would prepare conversations. She tells me, but honestly, I don't think any of us are ever good enough to reach nirvana. I said, yes! <laughs> I didn't, I, I contained myself, but inside I was like, thank you, I said, I completely agree, and that's why I believe that Jesus had to die for our sins, because I don't think we can be good enough either. Here's my encouragement. I waited almost until I was done working there to say it. Now, I do think when you're working with coworkers or family members, building a rapport is really strong, but don't build rapport for two years. Ultimately, it's up to the Lord. But if I could have just one just, but when you say this, I can wait forever. But when you see the Lord opening opportunities, even if you're afraid you might fumble it, even if you're afraid you might mess it up, the Holy Spirit's empowering you to do it. So speak and to share. John Chrysostom which was a, a church father around the 400s, he says that the Holy Spirit was like the sickle of God coming down at Pentecost. The harvest is ready. It's here. The Torah is given not on stone tablets, but on the heart. Now, finally, this is all global. Global. There was the scene where they come out and they are speaking in tongues. Mind you, they're speaking actual languages. They're speaking the language, they're speaking Arabic, they're speaking the language of the Mesopotamians. They are speaking all of these languages that we listed. And these men are astonished because they hear this group of 120 speaking their language. Now, now, these men that heard them, these are all either Jewish people or proselytes. But what happened with the Jewish people as they were 
uh, in the diasporas, they were all sent out and migrating or forced out, they began to speak the languages of wherever they went. If they went to uh, the Mesopotamian area, that's the language that they would speak, and they would speak their local dialects. Not everybody had perfect Hebrew. A lot of them, probably everybody, had pretty good Aramaic. Aramaic is similar to Hebrew. It's, if you ever read in the Bible about Aram, that's Aramaic. Jesus and his disciples mostly spoke Aramaic. But instead of using this root language that they would all understand, they could have spoke Aramaic, or because of Alexander the Great's conquest, they could have used Greek. But instead, God caused them to speak the language from where they were from. And this is a sign to us that this would not just be for Jerusalem, but it'd be for everybody. As Revelation gives us the picture, every tribe, tongue, and nation, Jesus has a people for himself, a bride, a body. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. It would have been easy enough for them to speak Greek, but God wanted to show what he was going to do, a global, all nations, all people, mission. What's encouraging for us is that we are those ends of the earth. We are those other people. As we read earlier in, in Ephesians, we are the foreigners and strangers that God brought us near. Now these Galileans... They had this reputation of being uncultured, of, of swallowing syllables of other languages. So these guys knew this was, this was a move of God, something miraculous that they'd be able to speak our language. We don't just get caught up, though, on the fact that they're speaking in tongues, speaking in other languages, but what they were speaking. Did anybody hear it? The wonders of God. That's our mission. That everybody would know in Brazil, Afghanistan, and Russia, China, everybody would know. And Wyoming, Michigan, everybody would know the wonders of God. That this is global, not exclusive for Americans. Not exclusive for the Jewish people, but everybody would know what Jesus has done. The Tower of Babel, undone. They came together for a common purpose that was opposed to God. God confused their languages, and now we come together for common purposes, and God enabled the church to communicate those confused languages. It's for all people. Everywhere. Peter will say later in this chapter that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You were the whoever, and I was the whoever. There's no longer slave or free, male or female. Jew or Greek or Gentile or Scythian, but 
All are one in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we're no longer male or female, a Jew or Gentile, but it means that there is no bar of access into the kingdom of God. Jesus gave them the parameters. Jerusalem, at home first. Judea, all of the areas around you need to hear. Samaria, even the enemies that you disregard. And ends of the earth. Everybody, everybody needs to hear. The Apostle Paul tells us, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Still our mission. It's still our invitation. And I want all of you to know in here, if you have not yet trusted in Christ, you are the whoever. If you call on the name of the Lord Jesus, maybe you don't get all the doctrine, maybe you don't get everything about the Holy Spirit, maybe you don't get all the verses I've mentioned today, where are they, what were those? But if you've recognized, because of the Holy Spirit, showed you will receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus died for your sins. You'll be right with God. You will receive the Holy Spirit, and then it will become your mission now to tell others. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son. Jesus, we thank you for sending with the Father the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill us. Empower us. God, we thank you for your presence, absolute, unrestricted access. God, give us the burden and the need and the desire to go. You will supply the power and the words we ask for the desire to go. Wake us up again. Sometimes your church can be that great giant sleeper. We want to be awake. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.